Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Elise Lonin is the author of On Our Best Behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins, and The Price Women Pay to Be Good. Elise is the host of Pulling the Thread. She has co-written 12 books, five of which were New York Times bestsellers. She was the chief content officer of Goop and co-hosted the Goop podcast and the Goop Lab on Netflix. Previously, she was the editorial projects director of Condé Nast Traveler. Elise lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two sons. Welcome, Elise. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest instant New York Times bestseller on our best behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins, and The Price Women Pay to Be Good. 
Thank you for having me. And thank you for your great service to readers everywhere. I'm such a fan. And like you, all I want to do is talk about books and talk to writers and push books into people's hands. Yes. Amazing. And a podcaster. I mean, we have like all this stuff. Same. Yeah. (laughs) If only we could all just talk about books and learn about people more every day. It's the greatest. (laughs) It is a great, it is a great privilege. I feel very fortunate to have worked my way towards my job. Okay. So let's start with the book and then I want to, <laughs> let's definitely your whole job. Okay. On our best behavior, tell listeners what it's about, when you started working on it, why you started working on it and all of the good stuff about the book. Yeah. So when people look at it, they might at first think that it's a book about religion, but it's not. It is. It relies on the seven deadly sins as a superstructure, but it's really about how Religion in many ways, particularly in our Judeo-Christian world, is culture. It is in all of us, regardless of our beliefs, conscious or unconscious. And to that end, the seven deadly sins, interestingly enough, weren't even, they're not gospel. They weren't in the New Testament. They came out of the Egyptian desert in the fourth century, and then Pope Gregory turned them into the cardinal vices and assigned them all to Mary Magdalene in the same homily that he also turned her into a penitent prostitute. That all happened in the sixth century. So that's my main disclaimer, because I think a lot of people are like, I don't want to wrestle with a book, or I don't believe in any of this, or this isn't me. And what I try to do in the book is delineate that it is in all of us, these ideas about goodness and what it is to be a good woman in our culture. And I'm making the argument that women are coded for goodness and men are coded for power. Although the book isn't really about men, it's tangentially about men, but men should really read this if they're interested in the psychology of women in ways that I think we wouldn't choose or own or claim. But as we know, reputational damage to women that she's bad, lazy, unkind, uncaring, slutty, lazy, fat. Like this is, these are the worst things that you can do to a woman. Whereas these have no, make no dent in men. Really a man can do any and all all sorts of terrible things. And if he's still perceived as powerful, we still revere him. So I got the idea for the book in part because I wanted to understand what was alive in myself. Mm. And I, I ghostwritten 12 books throughout my career. I was a magazine editor digital sort of media executive. And I've been very comfortable in my whole life standing behind other people and brands. And I didn't really think much of this until really my agent was like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what is this about? You know? And I was like, well, I don't have a book in me. And she was like, well, I beg to differ because you've written 12. And I had to really think about that. What is this tendency in me to hide? And I recognized that I was scared quite simply, of being seen and drawing attention to myself and that I'm not alone in that. And then the other sort of, which was interesting to me, and then the other sort of animating impulse at the beginning was just this like feeling like I was at the apex of my career, married, I have two young children, I have sort of done it, I've made it. And yet I was still chronically breathless, and chased by these feelings of not being enough. And I consciously, I could sort of intellectually recognize that that was crazy 
quote unquote. And yet these voices inside of me were so persistent, driving me. You know, I realized I had never sat through a movie at home. I'd never spent more than 20 minutes watching TV without doing something else or getting up to do something else. Like that I had this sort of compulsive cattle prod in me that was driving me. And so I really had to turn and face and start to tease apart, what is this in me? And it was really interesting. It was like kind of wild to recognize that this, you know, there are great books about anger, women and anger, women and food, women and work, women and being a mother. And then to recognize that actually this is all a system. This is all a system of goodness. And these are all interrelated. And yes, we should examine each of them on their own. And they're all worthy of like really incredible books and thought and research. But these are all part of a system and they are all overlapping and they crash into each other in interesting ways. So the compulsive cattle prod, it's not really your fault. It's a systemic Mm -hmm. response. Yes. And this is, and I I believe, I haven't met a woman who seems sort of post-patriarchal. And patriarchy is such a boogeyman word and a what does it even mean word. And we sort of throw it around. But it's the system. It's this internalized patriarchy that I think drives us about what what we how we police ourselves and then in turn how we police each other and the standards and norms that we establish and then the way that that impacts other women. And so I think what also happens is this, that compulsive doing, cattle prodding, I'm not a good enough mother, I'm not a good enough employee, I'm gonna, I know I spent all week doing late nights at my law firm on this brief, whatever it is that lawyers do. And now I need to compensate. Not, I can't say, oh, wow, I'm empty. I am tapped out. I need to rest. No. Women are like, well, now I need to compensate by doing two intensive path days with my kids. And I'm going to, you know, just kill myself for them so that they realize that they're equal in terms of my attention. So instead of sort of like doing what men do, which is saying, I'm wiped, I need a break. Women, I think, sort of feel like we have to override that need for rest, for example. The good women prioritize other people's needs over their own wants and desires, and that it's our job. It, we, it, well, there's nothing worse than being called a bad mother a bad employee, whatever it is, that there's no time for rest. And we sort of enforce it in our own behavior with each other. And so then you look around and you're like, well, shit, I'm really dropping the ball on my kid's birthday party or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. It's very hard to resist. So what is the answer? First, there's the, first there's like the deep sigh of relief of being seen and being like, okay, yes, that is me. And I see why perhaps, not just perhaps, but I see, I buy the argument that it is not just me as a person in my own, like <laughs> it's not my family's influence, right? Like this is from, this yeah. is a part of a greater fabric, but then what? Yeah. So I think a huge step is just consciousness, awareness, conversation. And what I love about the book, as much as I want everyone to to buy it, even just for the bibliography, I'm a wide reader and I'm really good. I think my sort of secret sauce is distilling lots of disparate sources of information and putting them together. But 
is you can almost you can almost not read the book and be and be in conversation about it you know and I'm gonna I'll list the sins to remind people because most people are probably like I don't, I don't know what they are sloth pride envy gluttony greed lust anger and then I included originally they were eight thoughts and the eighth thought was sadness and I wrote about sadness at the end in the context of men because making the argument that I think severing boys and men from feeling. And these these ideas of sort of weakness, the primary symptom of that is toxic masculinity. And our boys and men are in, I'm more concerned about our boys and men than I am about women. Women are incredibly durable, have learned how to survive and often thrive. And I have no doubts that as we sort of get over ourselves, we'll be fine. We've been outperforming boys in school for a century. We're incredibly hardworking, clearly we tend to prioritize other people, et cetera. So I'm not so worried about women, as frustrated as I am with sort of the lack of equity. I think we can overcome that quite fast if we can get out of our own way. But I am worried about boys and men. So for me, it's like, it's recognizing, oh, that this is in me. Envy is in me. This inability to identify what I want because women are conditioned that they don't have any wants, that they really are here to serve other people's needs first. So we don't have great models for like, this is what I want and I'm going to go after it. And we obviously police women who we perceive as ambitious or driven, right? We're very quick to put women in particular back in their places. That's what the chapter on pride is about. Again, they're all very overlapping. But with Envy, for example, my thesis which started with a conversation with psychotherapist Lori Gottlieb, and maybe you should talk to someone where she says that she tells clients to pay attention to their envy because it shows them what they want. And that was a groundbreaking idea for me when I talked to her, I don't know, five years ago, because I realized that what I think is happening with me, and this is my thesis, is that I am so unused. I don't under... Unused to thinking about what I want. I'm so not practiced in even identifying that emotion. And envy is so gross, right? We And that when we suppress or repress this emotion, or this feeling that we think is quote unquote bad, we project it on the object who is inspiring us. And so I think a lot of this women on women hate this, particularly when it's generalized. I just don't like her. She rubs me the wrong way. Who does she think she is? I thought her book sucked. I don't understand why people think she's so great. All of that sort of condemnation and criticism that is very sanctioned. It's this like women are women and women are catty. All of that. It's not who we are. I think it's just how we've been culturally conditioned to behave. It's accepted. And it's in the moment more comfortable to do that than to say, what is she doing that's like making me so uncomfortable and recognizing that she is pushing on a dream that we have for ourselves. I want to write a book. I want my body to look like that. Or I want my kids to be well-behaved readers. Whatever it may be, it might be really small, but it's so full of information. We're just not conditioned to even acknowledge it because we repress it. So for example, like, so that's what we do with our envy. With my sloth, my fear of sloth, for example, it's just making myself sit and just move through the feelings of discomfort that start to rise in me 
when I have that feeling that I should be quote unquote doing something productive, I it's like an internal battle where I am just like, stop. Or like, you are not allowed to start another book proposal until August 1st. You know, I have to sort of retrain myself. I know that sounds... But it's an internal conversation of just being conscious of what's like shooting up in me and taking the time to sort of stop. It's interrupting myself when I start tugging at my stomach or saying that I should go on a diet or saying that I've been bad and I should be good, quote unquote. All familiar language for all of us, right? It's so unconscious and it's just stopping. And it's uncomfortable. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's, I think on the other side, there's a promise of liberation. And the book isn't, I could have written it as sort of a stunty, like, let's be lustful and greedy. And it's not saying that. It's not, but it's saying that our extreme self-denial and repression is out of balance and that we have to let the fullness of our humanity, we have to own our wholeness. We have to let it come up. It's okay to have hunger. It's like a beautiful thing to experience pleasure. It is, we need to make it safe for each other to be seen and celebrated for our gifts because at this moment in time, our, we all need to show up that women's anger is often righteous and needs to be heard and articulates where what our needs are and where our boundaries are. So I promise it's like, I didn't want to write sort of a, an anthem where you would just feel really pissed. It's not easy to do that, quote unquote, but it's like, I could have done that and I didn't want to. I wanted it to move. And it's not a sort of how-to tactical, like here are your exercises book, but it's a hopeful book. It is a, I think it's just sort of a, at least what I'm seeing in the comments from people who have read it, it's a little bit of a, it's validating. You are saying all the things that I felt that I thought were just me. And now I see it in culture and I understand it. And that hopefully then it becomes shorthand for us, a checklist. Oh, I'm like feeling envy. We can do it with each other. We can stop each other and just say, do not talk about your body like that. I don't want you to talk about your body like that, et cetera. And, and I think through that, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a Pollyanna, but <laughs> I think most of us had no idea that these voices were running our lives in that way. And or we attributed them to our parents or our partners. And that was part of it for me too. I was like, wait, this is not coming from... My husband in no way is telling me that I should be paying bills while we watch Succession. He's not... No one's like... This is not for my parents. As, my, as fun as it is to blame parents for everything, this is much deeper. This is bigger than any single point of influence. Wow. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything it might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. So, and first of all, where are you reading the comments? And does this mean you read reviews? And how do you feel about that? No, <laughs> I should, I should say on Instagram. So these are people okay, who okay. typically are saying nice things are, okay. and are therefore tagging me and I'm seeing them. Okay. Um, I'm sure the people who are not saying nice things are not tagging me. And I haven't I haven't gone deep into Goodreads or Amazon. I just it's not that I don't care. It's that I know well enough that I I don't want to in some ways I feel really good about the book. And I'm like I did my best. I worked really hard on this book. So I worked so hard. I mean, you understand. I worked so hard on this book, clarifying, researching, compiling, clarifying, clarifying, clarifying. If it doesn't suit everyone's needs, it's I've done, I've done my best. And and yeah, I think criticism is can be full of really useful information. And I try to understand where I'm triggered so that I can sort of take what's useful. But I don't know. I haven't, I just haven't allowed myself. The team has pulled out sort of some good reviews, et cetera. But it's re- what's really interesting is like sort of the first reactive feedback that I've seen that's negative on Instagram has been sort of, this is anti-God and this, this, you know, and I'm like, learn your history, you know, before you defend before you have defend Pope Gregory the first, which I'm sure I think these people think that this is gospel from the mouth of Jesus or Moses. I'm like, no, this is not, you know? Yeah, this is like a very contemporary movement into Yeah. Yeah. This is all made up by men. So 
Wow. So interesting. Oh my gosh. Do you feel comfortable starting a movement? Like, do you feel good about, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I would, that's, a, that would be amazing. I don't, I, I write about my book, myself in the book far more than I thought that I would, which really came, that's not how I sold the book, but ultimately became necessary. Like how do these, how I needed to bring myself into it because I like to be clinical and abstract and, my editor rightly was like, you need to, you need to bring people through this experience and and make, to make it land and make it yep. something that other people feel comfortable examining in their own lives. So in some ways, it's a very vulnerable, revealing book. And then at the same time, I feel like I don't see myself as, I think the book stands on its own. And I want to be one of those writers who can comment on culture and pull together other people's research and scholarship and history and not have it be about me, if that makes sense. I don't want to, you know, I'm not, I don't also want my life to become like, well, I better blow up my life so that I have interesting things to write about. So yes, I would love to be a co-participant, if that makes sense. And I like standing with the readers. I like being part of it in that way, less like I'm an authority and I'm an expert and I'm in a, you know, does that make sense? Totally. Yes. Yeah. So ultimately, are you relieved that your agent suggested you write a book on your own? <laughs> yes. I'm very grateful. And I'm grateful to her because she took me on when I was a baby and she is an agent sort of that's definitely well beyond me. So I'm grateful that she kept me all these years, even though I was just ghosting. And yeah, because I don't know what that was in me, but I'm sure anyone listening feels the same. I think part of it, I don't know if you feel this way, but like I have such a deep reverence for writers. And that's how what I grew up. I grew up primarily reading and that's still how I function. And so it's very scary to sort of see your name on the binding of a book. And part of it was like, I had to use my envy again to be like, well, if what, if her, why not me? That's like sort of the, the upside of envy is to use it, identify your wants, and then use those people as quote unquote expanders where you're like, okay, if she can do this, it's sort of pushing past all of the scarcity mentality that affects so many of us. If she can do this, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. Not because she has this, I can't also have this. Yep. And so for me, it was this like, oh, wait, this person wrote like oh, a book that seems like it didn't take that long. I'll say that kindly. And they, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I holding myself back? So, so you are a master branding person. You've worked on a million magazines and content and you're just like a genius, obviously, from listening oh. to you for a second. Anyone could be able to identify that. Are you going to take this framework and turn this into like a, almost like a Gretchen Rubin-esque, you know, mm. life-changing set of tools? Or are oh, you interesting? examine something else? Or like, are there going to be workshops and classes and workbooks that, you know, like, where are we going? Yeah. I, that's a great question. And I think, so I have a podcast and a newsletter called Pulling the Thread, which I feel like is sort of my umbrella because that's what I'm doing, just pulling the threads of these stories that we tell about who we are. And so I think on a meta level, 
and on our best behavior fits into that world. I would love to do workshops because I think it's perfect. And and even, you know, ideally with the women and other people in the book, like bringing in Harriet Lerner and doing anger, Melissa Fabos and talking about lust. You know, there are so many amazing thinkers in these spaces who I would love to collaborate with. And I think that there's part of it that's like a mental model. So how do we get into our bodies and really in touch with ourselves? So I would love to do that. But I don't think that I will go in the Gretchen Rubin. It's not that I'm not that focused. I am I'm capable, but my interests are so wide. I think like Gretchen, I like I like tidy packages. I like sort of superstructures. I think it's nice for the reader where you're sort of, it's it's a lot of work taking care. You know, we all have that experience of being in a book and you're like, where is this person going? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just that line between recognizing that things, all things can't be pat. And then also that things are archetypal and collective and that these structures exist if you look. So I think I will continue in the vein of examining some of these like ancient ideas and how they have us in their grips. But I don't think I'll stay necessarily. I don't know. I'd love to do a workbook, but no one has offered me a workbook yet, Zippy. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) Putting it out in the universe. (laughs) Well, it's funny. It's like the book, as, as you know, these books... I think we all put a lot of attention on sort of press and like how much attention are you getting out of the gate? But really what sells books is primarily women, as you know, reading them and telling them they're friends and creating these sort of word of mouth network effects. And so I'm in the, I'm about a month, five weeks in. So I'm in sort of the early days of like, can will there be an infectious curve of mm-hmm. word of mouth? We'll see. Yeah. Well, I also think part of what makes books really resonate is when they end up changing your own life for the better and they change the way you see things, whether it's like finding joy in a round shaped, you know, lamp because like, (laughs) you know, joyful, the book tells you to buy that or you Mm -hmm. examine, you know, okay, I'm watching, I'm looking at this Instagram post and hating this woman because I'm jealous. Oh, wait, maybe I should, you know, have a martini and post it. No, I'm kidding. But (laughs) no, but I I do. There's so much from your book and your whole platform that is highly helpful in the day-to-day making life better for everyday women. And that is something that people will, of course, adopt as they have already. so. So yes, I just want women to stop carrying around these feelings of badness and not enoughness and then either internalizing them deeply or projecting them onto other people. I just, you know, the book is so much about also nature versus culture and our inability to ever satisfactorily tease them apart. Like who are we versus who are the stories we tell about who we are? And I think women and men, but for women, these pernicious stories about how a woman behaves her place is in the cave, her, you know, she's deviant if she doesn't have these qualities, or even that like women are gossipy, alliance building, backstabbing jerks. It's like, well, no, that's how we've been cultured. That's this culture. This isn't nature. This is how we've been taught to handle our aggression. This isn't, this isn't who we are. 
And I think the more that we can get closer to who we are, the more we can show up in the world because women are amazing, ultimately. And watch out. You know, I also feel like we're like boxers who've been training at high altitude. (laughs) And if we can, you know, get out of our own way and more importantly, get on side with each other. Yeah. I really think the world will be in a better place. Elise, you are such a rock star. Oh my gosh. I have 8 trillion more questions and like threads to take this conversation. But anyway, I hope we can continue this in some other Yes. Love to. on your book. It's amazing. You're amazing. And wow. Fun just to listen to you speak. Really. Oh, thank you. Genius. Okay. All right. Thanks, Elise. All right. Let me know when you're in LA. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.